0: Okay I'm recording already. Oh sorry. Hi. No you're fine.
1: (laughs) How are you? Where are you? Um I'm yeah I'm in my partner's office um which is in east side of Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, I'm over winter. That is definitely official now. I am over winter. So what are you working on at the moment? Uh, yeah, right now I am. Yeah, I'm in a bit of a pivotal stage where I'm really trying to prioritize my fiction mm-hmm. and my books. And yeah, last the latest book came out last week. And um, that has been, yeah, I've had to learn a lot in order to get there and I'm learning a lot now it's happened. And yeah, I think we spoke just when COVID kicked off the first season. What season are we now? I don't even know.
0: (laughs) We're in like the reboots
1: now. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I'm definitely due like a plot twist or a good love interest at this stage. (laughs) Um, yeah. So uh, then I was like, everything was going really well with travel blogging and travel freelance writing Mm. until, until COVID hit. And yeah, I think took me quite a while, quite a while to realize that this is not going to back to normal in, you know, quotation marks. It's not going to go back to normal for a long time. Um, and in some ways, Lucy, that was a good thing for me. Um, it actually gave me a bit of a kick up the bum Mm. to prioritize what, really what I enjoy doing most so yeah about a year ago I just sort of like figured out that it's now or never with the fiction and I've just got to bloody go for it and sorry can I swear sorry yeah of course you
0: can you can you can um so to wind things back obviously there'll be a link to our previous episode
1: but Mm. I think maybe you've been on twice actually I can't remember no, I think that was my first time. I think okay. tr- we tried to make it work, but that was my first time. So yes, it's my second.
0: Because I remember so well that you, so you, first of all, you've been writing fiction um, and novellas and you've been writing, that's what you do always, but yeah. you've had a travel blog, which was really kind of your main source of income, right? And at yeah. the time you were had spent a chunk of time really focusing on SEO mm-hmm. and that was really paying off Mm. in terms of what the kind of traffic and and all the rest of it to your website. yeah. And then COVID happened and that just ruined everything because no one was traveling.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. And um, yeah, it was really... It was hard. It was not hard like, you know, frontline nurses on COVID wards, but it was sobering. And, um, yeah, I think I spent about two or three years basically when my kids were really young, because I found that fiction became quite hard for me when, um, my kids were young, just, you needed more time, like huge chunks of time to write fiction or I do anyway. And that you just don't, that's not available when you're primary, uh, caregiver of young kids. And then, um, I, yes, yeah, so I really focused on the SEO and actually, cause I do free, I was doing freelance travel writing or actually freelance writing for other companies and uh, creative businesses. The SEO stuff was important for me to learn and keep learning. So I was applying it more to my blog. And yeah, it was, it was at a position where I was, you know, with Mediavine for uh, running, you know, decent ads with decent income. And I think I had my best month yet, January 2020, and I was, I was like ready to actually chop off a few freelance clients that I didn't really necessarily enjoy working with so much. Um, and yeah, COVID hit and the whole travel content creating industry was just on its knees, as was most of, uh, little mini industries, niches within the travel industry. Um, yeah, so it's, but it's funny because now, you know, you have a bit more time for reflection and perspective. I feel like what what I was doing in those years worked for my family at that time. Um, and also what I learned, both blogging and freelance writing, definitely helped with my fiction. Like there's there's just from practical things like writing quickly. Yeah. Like I have a crazy high word per minute count. Uh, through to just like when I need to write direct and and in plain English and things like that, I can, um, yeah. So I try not to have regrets, regrets. I have a few, um, (laughs) but I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am at now, but of course I do think, oh, if only you just sort of had this focus more years ago, where would you be with the books? But but you wouldn't. But you
0: couldn't have had that focus at that time. You just it, couldn't. It's not possible. That's like a parallel universe yeah. where that would have happened. Yeah. I mean, that's the way that I think about it. When I think, oh, if only, yeah, if only I knew what I knew now when I first started travel blogging, then mm. ev- I would be so successful. Because obviously, both of us started out relatively early in yeah. the UK travel blog scene. But then I'm so glad that I didn't put all my eggs in that
1: basket. God, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's true actually. And when you yeah, colleagues of mine who are purely travel content, mm-hmm. yeah, they've had awful few years and 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 indeed many have stopped doing it now. And that's really upsetting because that was everything to them. Yeah. Um yeah, so you're right, you're right. And actually, you know, in the context of having young children, like there's a reason I couldn't write fiction then and so and and actually because i'm indie publishing at least some of my books the the amount of business knowledge you need for publishing self publishing is bonkers and that's a side of things of creative life that i've never excelled at and never will to be frank um but um yeah i've had to have a certain different kind of brain space to learn those things and i think And I'm jumping all over the place here, Lucy, so rein me in whenever you need to. But like, I I don't know about you, but becoming a mother was an incredibly vulnerable experience. Like it exposed me to so much in myself and uh, of the outside world. And in some ways, what I'm doing now, writing fiction, especially about some of the things I write about, It's it's it would have been too much. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have explored those themes in the same way because I was already like (laughs) an open wound just from having children. So, yeah, that's another little way to look at it.
0: I really want to talk about self-publishing as well, because I know nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. I didn't, until I met you, I actually don't think I really knew it was a thing.
1: Well, I'm going to sound really clever then now, because I, <laughs> I know I know very little, but if you know nothing, then woo. <laughs> it's changing the traditional publishing industry which is so interesting for me. Um, when I first, so I Indie published my first book back in 2013, and it was very formulaic in terms of what you, again, quotation marks, had to do, and there were certain people saying, do it this way, and there wasn't much, like, scope for doing it differently, and it was like, yeah, do these things and you should be okay. And that's pretty much what I did, um, and then I did that again with my next two books, which came out the following subsequent years, but then I took a break when I had kids and I came back to it and holy guacamole, it has changed. And it's like, it's, it's brilliant because it's, it's really shown that it is a valid part of the publishing industry because essentially what traditional publishing is, is gatekeeping, mm. which is really problematic for lots of different reasons. Um, but it's, indie publishing and self-publishing and there are lots of different models of indie publishing of course there are those who are like me who just you know DIY do it all yourself but yeah I, I hire editors and um copy, uh, copy editors, development editors, cover designers, illustrators when I need them and also yeah sensitivity readers and formatters for the ebooks and paperbacks and all these things I hire people but essentially I am publisher and writer and then you have indie presses so they're like Often they're groups of writers that get together and publish. I think there's a there's quite a few in Brighton, like a co-op. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. and they're a collaborative that publish books for other indie authors. And then you even have like the crowdfunding model where you, yeah, you pre-order in advance, and once you have the money, then you spend it on the publishing. Um, and then now you have you see a lot of the most successful authors, like so in the Sunday Times bestseller list, especially in genres. Um, they are hybrid. They hold on to their digital rights, um, so for ebooks, and then they they can sell their paperback. So they can sell that like on yeah, so their you, websites or whatever. Pretty much. Again, there's different models because when you so you when you publish with Amazon and yeah, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about um, Amazon. And so, when I talk about Amazon, please, please know that that's true. I'm not advocating for them as a company in any way. However, when it comes to indie publishing, they are, they are really the one and only way to make it big. It is very difficult, uh, even traditionally published, to um, publish any kind of book without having it on Amazon. And with indie specifically, they offer kind of exclusivity so like a bit like amazon prime you have kindle unlimited where people pay a subscription and then they have books that are within the subscription that you download for free and that is how and then it kind of works out that depending on how many pages are read uh, authors get a certain percentage of the profits and that is how a lot of especially genre fiction that's how a lot of indie authors are making their money yes there's lots of different models but the thing i find fascinating is how it is changing so now when you go traditionally published uh Uh, agents and editors and publishers they expect you to have something similar to the platform of an indie author and of course an indie author's platform is how they sell their books so building that up is how they sell their books but now traditionally published authors are somewhat expected and so when they submit a book that will be looked at and if you have a good platform that will help your chances. I've heard
0: that before from people who have been putting forward a book proposal Mm -hmm. and the I guess the first person you go to is what an agent it can be yeah they They do open
1: submissions at publishing houses but generally agents are a good first step yeah
0: the fact that they expect a platform I know nothing about publishing but I don't know about you but I feel like that's just another way
1: to gatekeep (laughs) a hundred percent a hundred percent it is and and it's it's representative as well of the publishing uh, industry in the last 5 to 10 years where especially at certain times of the year your bestseller lists are dominated by influencers and celebrities mm. and the high profile people and um i am as an indie author i believe anybody and everybody can publish a book and i and i want that for everybody i want the market to be much more open but you then have I'm going to, I'm going to use her as an example and I hope she doesn't mind. But then you've got somebody like Nova Reid, who has wanting, been wanting to publish a book for years, uh, about her anti racism work and allyship. And she can't get in. And Mm. even, and she has the, she has the following. She has the platform. She has a platform, but but she has a quotation marks again, prickly topic. Yes. And it isn't, it wasn't until June 2020 that, that book publishers were willing to talk to her and offer her a deal. And that is happening across the board. And it's not just with, you know, black authors, authors of color writing about anti-racism. It's also fiction. It's also other areas of non-fiction. Um, and so my, that's my issue with the traditional publishing model is that mm-hmm. it is being, yeah, when you focus too much on a platform or an easy sell, because let's, yeah. not, let's not, you know, sugarcoat this. Publishing is a money-making business. Um, but right now, because of indie publishing, how they make their money and where they make their money is changing and evolving. And it's almost like they're on the back foot a little bit. So, yeah, really interesting.
0: It's It's fascinating how it's almost iterative, mm. the way the indie publishing became ha- the model that it is now because of traditional publishing, yes, and traditional publishing is having
1: to because really, that's what happened, isn't it? Like that's exactly. you what had to find loopholes, yeah for too long, it was it was too tightly guarded and it was too white, too male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh there's also a lot of kind of snobbery within it, um mm. which I have been absolutely guilty of myself. Um, and I've had to explore the reasons why so for example I now read a lot of a lot more romance a lot more uh, like uh, genre fiction fiction like crime mystery thriller and my latest book is indeed a thriller suspense thriller and I, I, (laughs) I don't know why I didn't give myself permission not only to write those books but to read them. And and my only conclusion is is that 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 there's like yeah classism, but also yeah misogyny and like yeah
0: there's 100% of course there is. I remember Marion Keys saying it on a a podcast years ago. Actually, it wasn't a podcast; it was a YouTube video years and years and years ago. And she said, you know, the fact that chick lit. Mm -hmm. I mean, how Mm -hmm. fucking patronising is that chick lit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just grim. There is no equivalent for a man. No, like God, no, bro, bro, <laughs> lit. Like there just isn't, is there? There's nothing no. chick lit. It's it's fucking yeah. sexism, of course it yeah. is, and and you know that goes across the board. Um, the I remember when I was growing up, Freya North books. Yeah. I read some of
1: those. They were a like girl's
0: name. I think they were specifically really targeted towards LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. Yeah. And they were really considered taboo. Yes, I remember thinking, "Oh, oh yeah. no, I can't read that because yeah. people
1: will think I might be gay." Yeah, yeah, and and actually that plays into something um, I was kind of uh, checking in on on BookTok. BookTok yeah. is the oh, um, sorry. Yeah.
0: book section of TikTok.
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, and. Uh, there's been a bit of a hoo-ha recently because uh, this is one of the crazy things I've had to learn about Amazon. When you publish a book on Amazon, if you put a content warning about your book, they will put it in the Amazon dungeon. So the algorithm will public punish you. And I want to assume Mm. it's because they are acknowledging it's an easy way to acknowledge that there's something potentially triggering in a book. So they, they're trying to protect their readers or whatever, or maybe avoid liability. But, uh, the pro- For me, it's essential to have that. Like, it's just, that's how I'm going to publish my books because there are, you know, there's, I want to keep my readers safe, um, yeah. even within a genre like, yeah, suspense and thriller. And I had two editors tell me not to do it, but I'm I'm doing it anyway. But anyway, on BookTok, it's been a bit of a hurrah because authors are resisting giving trigger warnings for books and readers are saying, no, no, we really need them. And, it, there's, and other authors are saying, hey, guys, you don't need to, it's not difficult. There's a way to do it. So I found a way to do it, just avoiding certain words. But as a consequence, um with the trigger warning and things like that, somebody piped up and said, hey, can we no longer say that any books with LGBTQ characters are a trigger? Yeah. And that has been happening. And that 100% confirms what you just said. And I was the same. And we can go into this if you want. I don't know. But I came out as bi last year. And I came out to myself about two or three years ago. And I came out to friends, family, and public uh, last year. And that is because of that shame. Mm. And I read books with, yeah, uh, gay relationships and everything, but in, and I was, I was also, you know, I had, I was in a very, uh, what's the word, accepting, loving family. Um, and I still felt that like pressure not to be who I am effectively. Um, and, all you have to do is watch Friends now. To be honest, if oh you grew goodness, up on yeah. Friends or sex or just in the city,
0: anything, from yeah. like the noughties. yes. Do you not look back and think, oh, why did I love
1: this? Yeah, I feel so
0: ashamed of myself. because yeah.
1: it's so but it explains obviously a lot.
0: Homophobic,
1: yes, but it explains so much to me as somebody who was course, closeted yeah. until their late thirties. It explains ever so much. So, yeah. So, yeah, my, I'm very determined with, with fiction and just, yeah, the way I parent and all these things to, like, remove remove those stigmas and that shame. and um, I don't know how we got here now, Lucy, but hey.
0: <laughs> it was me with when well, we were talking about talk oh, and right. um, LGBT yeah, saying, the, yeah. let's not use because it's the genre. Of- the, yeah, it the, is. The,
1: yeah. It's the gatekeeping element. And, um, yeah, it's still ha- it is still happening. But the good news is it is changing. I slowly think, but surely. Slowly but sh- as with everything, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but it, I do believe it is changing. And that's mostly thanks to young readers like on BookTok and <laughs> old readers like me who were trying to unlearn all of this rubbish. So, yeah. So, what's your latest book about? Can you talk about it? Yeah, sure. It's, it's called The Weaker Sex. And uh, it's the second in a, my series of thrillers. That are set in London, and they are. This is where it gets dark. Hold on to your hats. Uh, they are a <laughs> team of professional hired killers, mm. but they have a code. Um, and this second book is about the only woman in the group, and uh, it's basically. Uh, it's. I'm not going to tell say too much, um, but it's. Uh, she's a very strong woman um, who avenges. Um, basically avenges misogyny, I guess, and specific, specifically violent men um, and violence against women. Um, but she is flawed too. And the way in which she avenges, um, yeah, violent men also begs questions. And that was really important to me. Um, I, this is a spoiler. So if anybody wants to read it, then just turn your uh, – turn the sound off for like 10 seconds she avenges it under the cover of sex work and so that kind of enabled me to also enter the world of sex work and to understand um the huge gross failings of specifically white feminism uh, mm. towards sex workers um and yeah so that's it the book is there's there's the kind of genre kind of in terms of there's a yeah, she has a struggle and she needs to do X, Y, and Z. That's the, That's in there, the kind of suspense, the genre box ticking events and plots. But underlying it, there are all these things, specifically yeah, violence against women um, and uh, the failings of white feminism and then how we treat sex workers in our media, our society, our communities. Um, yeah, so it's, it's lots of different layers, but hopefully it works.
0: <laughs> well, I can't wait to read it. So when it comes to research, mm-hmm. tell me about that. Because when you're researching something that's so dark,
1: yeah. like how how do you even begin? Um, so for me, it's normally, and this is how every book begins, not even the dark ones. It's just like an idea or a concept. And this book specifically is really interesting to talk about. And there is an author's note where I explain this in the back of the book. Because the version I wrote, I first wrote the first draft, I think back in, I finished it 2017 or 2018, and then my second baby was born. So it went in the cupboard kind of as a result of that. But also because the first draft I wrote was very much like, oh yeah, sexy, kick-ass women who are prostitutes and they also kill men. (laughs) Ha ha, men are so bad. And... Yeah. Okay. Great. That would have, that would have, you know, flown off the shelves 30 years ago, but I knew, I just knew there was something deeply not right with that perspective and that take on both violence against women and also sex work. Um, so I had to, I paused it for many reasons. Um, but my discomfort was definitely up there and I just started reading about sex work to understand the experience better, to understand. The failings of yeah our institutions and our communities towards sex work and the stigma, and the huge stigma that um, is attached to sex sex work, and uh, that also coincided with me doing uh, not not in terms of the two were co- connected, but at the same time I was also starting anti racism training with Nova before mentioned. And so I realized that was when I also started to dig deep into my understanding of feminism. And you mm. are absolutely one of the biggest voices I think I follow in terms of intersectional feminism. And so it all kind of came together as my unlearning deepened. And um, so the research for this book was very, very different to other books, but it had to be because these, these topics are so yeah, multifaceted and sensitive and I don't like saying this word, but fragile because mm-hmm. I really wanted this book to be, and I put this in the author's note, I wanted it to be an opportunity. Yeah. I wanted it to be an opportunity to invite the average Jane, because let's be honest, not many men are going to pick up this book, but (laughs) the average person, let's just say human, let's hope, let's hope, the average human to pick up this book and to understand like I did three, four years ago, oh, I've got a lot wrong about sex work and I've got a lot wrong about feminism. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I hope, I really hope that that, the, the reviews I've had so far, the feedback I've had, the beta readers and the editors, that that is coming across. Um, but I've had to do it in an incredibly sensitive way because I'm not a sex worker. So it's also very problematic for me to write about sex work when I'm not a sex worker, but I have hopefully also managed to do that because I'm the character, it's first person, the narrator, and she isn't a sex worker herself, but she has proximity to sex workers. So yeah. Yeah
0: it's a big responsibility that's the, like that you've put on yourself as well well it
1: is it is but it's it's so yeah and there's there's probably people who would argue that it shouldn't be me doing it but there are i appointed lots of people i uh, pointed uh lots of uh, readers to lots of books that are specifically about sex work by sex workers um and also i feel like it's not the only theme like that it's it's uh, one mm. of many and um and I've also been reading up a lot about what, um, yeah, writers of colour have been saying in terms of white authors writing about uh, c- uh, having characters of colour, and how that's actually important as long as you do do it with sensitivity. I, I, I Idea, well, you should always get a sensitive sensitivity read, and you should work with a person of colour to, you know, understand where you have your blind spots because I have my blind spots as a white course, person yeah. and as a non-sex worker so um it's yeah it's very important i think but like i said i don't this book is not a, the oracle and this book also uh pres- gives lots of different uh not versions but there's it, it's it's very there really isn't just one kind of na- na- like one plot in terms of a sex worker. There's there's lots of different ways of looking at it. And I also want to kind of highlight that we are in a really interesting time in our social media where um, online sex work is growing, Mm. oh, my God, exponentially, like OnlyFans. Mm. And so there are a lot of people who are coming to the sex work industry and they're doing it blind of the issues that service based, uh, sex workers, so your, you know, women on the street, let's say, um, how they have been let down. And it, and, and so this is a, re- we're at a time where there's a really good opportunity to change some of, some of these narratives and to let's really look at that stigma and do what we can to change it. And that is what I want this book to be part of. It's not the Bible. It's not claiming one and, and, and a very, it's not claiming a binary experience. It's just, it's just part of a conversation. I hope. I
0: think, yeah, an opportunity That's is it. like a, a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't
0: wait to read it. So, um, how, what was it? the experience of selling your book. Mm. Now, how do you feel about that? Because I mean, from I don't know a single woman, cis or not, that um I suppose this podcast is probably for the girls, the gays and the they's. Gays, yeah. <laughs> I don't know any of us. I don't I don't speak to men and I don't I don't care if they listen or not. I'm not speaking to you. So if you're here <laughs> um I don't know a single person that listens to this podcast that will feel like selling.
1: Yeah. Um, That lights
0: me up. I love it. I love selling my stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I But to do
0: it when you're an indie publisher, I think, I mean, regardless whether you're publishing through the traditional kind of model or not, you still have to be the voice and be rolled out at, you know, publishing time and be like, hey, my book's here, blah, 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 blah. So you're going to have to sell regardless. But when you're an indie publisher, you've got so much more invested in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Like definitely. financially, as well as everything else. Yeah. How, how do you go about doing it?
1: Um, well, that's what I'm learning, to be totally honest. Um, I, I, right now... I'm trying to pivot my, the following I had from my travel blog to, um, to now use that, my newsletter, my blog, and to a certain extent, social media to try and sell the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so far that is resulting in people unfollowing me. And that is completely fine because I'm changing and they signed up to hear tips about Amsterdam or traveling with kids. And that's just not going to be happening. So that's okay. And, and honestly, like I said, I'm at a time in my life, you know, where that's, I'm okay with that. But a couple of years ago, that, w- that would have shattered my little, yeah. precious little ego. Um, and I I now see it. I see, I see, I'm enjoying the beauty of being transient right now. The opportunity that is is there for me when I, as I evolve, I guess, and I'm using very hippy dippy words here, aren't I? But um, I quite, I just, I'm very excited by the change. And yeah, and I'm lucky to be in a headspace where that's possible because like I said, it hasn't always been. So in terms of selling my book, I'm just, yeah, I'm learning and I'm a knowledge junkie, um, which is why things like researching books is so much an enjoyable part of the process. So I'm always learning. I'm I'm like in writer's groups. I've, yeah, I read books about the business side of things. I follow blogs, I follow podcasts. I, and I ask questions now, which I also never used to do. So I'm slowly starting to get a kind of uh, little group of other authors, some indie, some traditionally published, and we talk to each other. So for example, last week, when um it was launch day and launch day I don't know what it's like for your courses or things like that, but oh it's just the worst day ever. And everyone's so excited and lovely and sending me messages. But you it's the vulnerability hangover is yeah. epic. And yet yeah. you do have to do what you just said. You have to show up and you have to push it. And so when I published my collection of poetry, November twenty twenty, I think that was oh my God, I was supposed to do a live and I bailed and I just felt physically sick and I couldn't do it. And so I was able to use that experience to prepare a little bit better for this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so I was, I did a live and I did a reading and it was like 11 minutes and then I logged off and went to bed, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and just maybe hopefully next time, I will stay a bit longer and I will be able to be a bit more, yeah, visible, I guess, and uh, comfortable in my own skin. But yeah, so I talked to these other authors and actually you mentioned Lauren Elcroft. She was one of them and she said, yeah, it's, I don't know any author. I don't know any author who feels good on their launch day. Um, so that was reassuring because I thought, oh my God, this would be the happiest day of my life. But, um, It's a lot. It's a lot. You you feel very... I always say people reading my books is like them going through my knicker drawer. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, what kink is that, hey? I mean, (laughs) but um, yeah, just, yeah. But selling, I'm still learning is my honest, honest answer. But I know now, and again, this is something that's taken me a long time to learn is that I have to be enthusiastic about my books, and in mm. order for me to be enthusiastic about them, they have to be a bit good and <laughs> and so that's what that's what I really work hard to achieve and and honestly, I'm very lucky that that I enjoy that side of things so i I literally get lost in these little worlds of fake people who fall in love and, you know, shag each other and kill each other and shout at each other. And I absolutely love it. Um, I had a lot of imaginary friends as a kid, you can probably spell.
0: Do you think that, um, and feel free to not answer if Mm. this is uncomfortable, but do you think that coming out has made, has changed your perspective on sharing online and also And also selling because like you say, when it comes to your books, that's like your heart, like that's years of like blood, sweat and tears and your imagination that is vulnerable. It is like someone going through your knicker drawer because that's (laughs) all (laughs) all stuff that you've created. It's like, hey, come and look at this world I've created that you might not like and you will have opinions on. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting it out there so mm-hmm. that you can tell me your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> in like Amazon reviews or whatever. Yeah. Did, but when you become a, the the reason that I think of, you know, that I'm making the parallel between coming out is because I know that becoming a mum for me, like you mentioned, was really a shift in like, yeah. oh, I'm I'm a different person.
1: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the two parallels for me, which may or not, may or may not answer your question with coming out and also this new shift in focus on my books is, uh, this kind of, yeah, for want of a better expression, life is too short and you only really live it when you live in your truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, the the vulnerability and the vulnerability element, 100% I couldn't have done, I don't think, without becoming a mum because that taught me I can be deeply vulnerable. Like I'm so, you know, viscerally uncomfortable in my vulnerability and still come through it, you know. Mm. I w- I don't, I won't even say okay because I had an awful time uh, with postnatal depression and things like that, and I still have triggers from that first year of motherhood. But I do know that 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 is my truth, and I have to own it. And the same way, yeah, coming out as bi, I had to, I had to do it. It was, and and there were other things going on, and definitely uh, COVID kicked mm-hmm. started. Before COVID, I think I was quite happy just being myself and knowing it for myself. But then. Um, I, there was something about COVID that just made me realize this could all, you know, this could all end. Yeah. I think we all had to check our own mortality when, when, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic. And I think I'm very privileged in that that was probably the other people have had to do that earlier in their life. And, and that for me, that was the first time that I really fully appreciated how I'm not immortal. Oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like, so I had to, I had to uh, and, and also again I'm I'm bringing it up again but doing anti-racism and unlearning stuff about feminism and sex work like these things all lent made me realize I had to be who I am mm-hmm. um and yeah and 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 it goes it speaks volumes that I'm I have I've had like a few shitty comments about it and and I've had some very strange questions but overwhelmingly, the response has been loving and accepting and celebrating, and and I would say at least fifty or sixty percent have been like, "Yeah, Frankie, we know, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine, you know." And that's it's all validating and affirming. Um, but uh, uh, you know, looping it back to motherhood, the other thing, and and again with the books, this is this is also true of the books. I I got to I just got to a point where my son, my eldest, is six. And he's already started, we live in the Netherlands and he's already started doing like uh, sex and relationships education at school. And he knows, he knows families with two dads, two mums, one mum, one dad. He's aware of different models of family. And so, and he started asking me questions like, oh, do you like boys and do you like girls in that way? That's his way of saying it. And, And I said, and I just had to start saying, do you know what? I like both. I like both in that way. And I just need him to grow up knowing it's the most normal thing in the world because that's, oh, I feel emotional now because that's what's, that was what was missing for me. And it just, it would just eat me alive if he didn't, if both of my kids didn't grow up like that. Like that's, and then, and then with the books, I, I am very privileged that I have an opportunity to not earn as much. My partner has his own business. And so I can focus on the books a bit more. And not necessarily, I'm, I'm almost definitely will not make a profit this year, but I'm very privileged that that's okay. But I'm doing it so that I can show my kids, yeah, this is what mommy wants to do with her life and she's going to really just go for it. So yeah, it's a little bit of both, a little, little bit of a lot of things, but there, there are a lot of parallels and mm. I certainly feel like coming out gave me permission to do the books and I've actually now kind of I'm writing also contemporary romance, and I've kind of made this little commitment to myself that every book I write is going to have bi rep, and nice. and weirdly The Weaker Sex also does. But I wrote this is the stupid thing, Lucy. I wrote that book four years ago, and this the the main character bisexual, and I'm like Frankie, huge rainbow flag. I'm really good at missing them. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, that is um I mean testament to the fact that it is basically your knicker drawer. Like this is your your like it is so part of an author's innards. Yeah. <laughs> Their books. It is. Even when it's not, you know, obviously yeah. yeah. even when you're not a sex worker, you're not your character. Mm. But it's from it's all the different parts of yourself yeah. come out. Yeah, definitely. I mean I do not have a book in me. I know that people say everyone has a
1: book in them, but I'm just not. No, but if you think just about not if you think about the content you have produced and created over the years, that mm. that's many books, Lucy. Like uh, yeah, no, that's and it's a good just point, yeah. it's just now we have a different outlets. So I think that that saying is quite old, but actually, mm. what it means is is that we all have a story to tell or stories to tell in whatever yeah. form. And we are now just sharing them in different ways, I think. You're right.
0: My ADHD brain cannot sit and focus on a book. No way. <laughs> no, no. I can only do like short bursts of stuff, like really intense focus for, I don't know, an hour and yeah. then that's it, I'm done.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's that's totally fine. I wish, I wish some days, I wish... But that's how my brain worked because when it like hits four o'clock and I have to go and do pickup and I'm like, no, I'm currently on a beach sipping margaritas with a sexy Irish man. I don't want to go do the school pickup.
0: <laughs> yeah. Talking of school pickup, it's oh, yeah. like a bit of a last question. Sure. How do you feel about it? Because I just put something on my Instagram this morning. I hate (laughs) the school run. Like I never imagined I would hate it as much as I do. What do you you hate? Talk me through it. So I hate the regimented nature of you have to be here at 8. Gates open at 8.46 and then they close at 9.01. Mm. And I don't, I really struggle with the intensity of like getting out the house, oh or, god! You know, wearing uniform. Like, yeah. I don't know why I'm air quoting because it is uniform. <laughs> but wearing this prescribed uniform, I'm a rebel, right? So I don't like mm-hmm. any of that. Mm-hmm. But also, Anais's school, it's so clicky. <laughs> it's or all- and the mums, the mums yeah. hate me. And I hate that because I just want to be liked. Oh, I've got a Lucy. resting bitch
1: face, but I just want people <laughs> to like me. It's probably because they think you're like the cool one. And so you're a little intimidating and, you know, yeah. I, so I have to admit, I ha- I don't have to, well, I do have the, oh my God, the getting kids dressed in the morning. I swear, I swear I'm like seconds away from an aneurysm every morning. Yes, yes. Yeah. It is the most stressful thing. In fact, it's so funny you should say that because last night my partner and I were talking and I'm like, is it okay to get therapy for getting my kids ready to leave the house? Because I genuinely feel like there is a breakdown in my brain and I just can't do yeah. it without getting very stressed. Anyway, so we do have that, but um, we live opposite my son's school. Oh. <laughs> so we don't. I'm so jealous. So we have some leeway in terms mm. of how late we can be, how much. You can just <laughs> shove him out the door. Yeah, like- well, we're close to that. We are close to that. But yeah, it's like, how much shouting can I do today? Um, no, and then. He doesn't have to wear a uniform.
0: No.
1: Oh. In that good old Netherlands, Montessori education, they they are free to be who they are, which I love. But but yeah. he still has to put his clothes on and nine times out of ten, they're the wrong way around. And like mm. it's you know, it's fine. Um, but the school gates, so it's a bit for me, I find I find the yeah, the, it's quite intense social, like few mm. minutes, isn't it? And now I know. Enough people. I t- this is what I'm also like at parties. And I kind of like just gravitate to them Same. and cling yeah, yeah, to yeah. them. Um, where really I should make a bit more effort. Um, why? Life's too short. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a people pleaser. So I'm a good girl <laughs> so g- That means good that you girl. shouldn't. No, <laughs> like, true. <laughs> you should do that. Opposite. True. True. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is, but I don't like pick up for me because our pick up is at 2.15 so it completely chops the day in half um yeah but it's fine I and I and we also have like weird COVID where we all have to stand outside the school gate and it's all a bit like yeah
0: us too
1: we have to like rush off because otherwise you get run over and things like that so um I don't but yeah mum friends yeah I'm I'm selective I have to be honest I'm I'm I don't I have good mum friends and I have good friends who now have become mums so I don't feel that overwhelming urge to be mates with everyone but I also have to say I'm really lucky that I just pretend I don't speak Dutch.
0: Oh yeah <laughs> So maybe I'll pretend I don't speak English. <laughs> yeah,
1: seriously do you speak do you speak Arabic I mean like. <laughs>
0: Shui, which means yeah do you know it <laughs> no, a I little bit it
1: sounded it sounded really convincing <laughs> it means a little bit oh great shway oh i love that Shui. Oh, it's such a beautiful language oh my gosh um yeah i don't maybe I, yeah maybe i'll just start speaking arabic yeah i can not? speak
0: better german than i can speak arabic
1: oh good <laughs> good They're good They're good
0: <laughs> okay so you you've Feel similar to me on a school pick-up It's just up, a then. forced
1: social interaction, which, yeah, it is it's, yeah. It's just not fun for me. No, Me neither. Does NIS like school? Uh, does she?
0: I, it's difficult to tell. I think so, mm-hmm.
1: overall. Yeah. But it's a bit too soon to tell. It's hard. It's school transition is really hard, I think, mm. for mums and kids. But, um, yeah, it get. I find now uh, it's, like, a really – I'm really happy he's at school. Like, I really feel – they, it's because they they start their own little life you know and yeah they pull away a bit which is hard at the beginning but now I'm really I really I like the human he's becoming which yeah probably couldn't say that in our last chat
0: <laughs> yeah maybe not <laughs> oh thank you so much for your time it was yeah, lovely thank
1: to catch you. up it was, yeah really really good thanks so much great questions <laughs>